We all know that Hollywood is full of secrets and those looking to expose them. So if you brag about keeping a diary of your sexcapades with the city's rich and famous, don't be surprised when you turn up dead. I'm breaking my no investigating crimes with living suspects rule to tell you about the Black Dahlia of the disco era, Krista Helm. Krista Helm was a 27-year-old single mother and aspiring actress who would do anything, or anyone, for fame. But she came to an untimely demise when she was brutally stabbed over 20 times on the night of February 12, 1977, in West Hollywood. What would make someone commit such a senseless act of violence toward a seemingly innocent wannabe starlet? Well, her alleged love diary might be one option. She kept detailed notes of all of her sexual encounters and even included a ranking system of them that she wrote in this diary, which she kept with her at all times. And in this diary, the names, dates, and details of sex with different members of Hollywood's elite, a diary which she bragged about and the one that disappeared on the night that she was brutally attacked. Her murder remains unsolved to this day. I'm your host, Ansley, and welcome to Hollywoodland Unsolved. Listener discretion is advised. Krista Helm was born on November 11, 1949 in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, as Sandra Lynn Wofile. She was the daughter of Harry, the owner of an asphalt company, and Dolores, a housewife. The two split just before Krista's third birthday. Her father went on and married another woman and had two more children. But her mother sunk into alcoholism and depression and dated a string of abusive and violent men. Her mother allegedly stood idly by while these men took advantage of her three daughters, Krista, Marissa, and Candy. And for years, her mother denied that the abuse was even happening. As the abuse progressed, Krista and her two sisters were moved to live with their father permanently. During this time, Krista learned to push the limits. She developed wild habits and tested the boundaries of her small town Wisconsin life. Krista loved attention and made herself known wherever she went. And at 16, Krista fell in love with 26-year-old Gary Clements and within weeks became pregnant with his child. Under the pressure of her parents, Krista and Gary got married in a shotgun wedding. Shortly after Krista's 17th birthday, she gave birth to a baby girl, Nicole. But it wasn't long before things went south for the couple. Within weeks of Nicole's christening, Gary disappeared. Nicole gave an account later that stated, quote, I never got to know my father. He kind of disappeared from our lives sometime after my christening. I was told that mom looked high and low for him and that she couldn't find him. My father never did come back. A few months later, mom was told by someone that he'd died in a motorcycle accident in Florida, but she was never really sure if that was true. It seems so strange to say this, but it's like he just vanished into thin air one day, end quote. But Krista wasn't single for long. Her big personality and beautiful blonde locks attracted many suitors, and she dated a number of men. After Nicole's birth, Krista got a job as a waitress at a local Italian restaurant, where she became friends with another waitress, Diane Mitchell, who was also a mother to a young daughter. Soon after, the pair got a two-bedroom apartment together and left their daughters to live with their grandmothers. Diane was wary of Krista's love of attention and her willingness to bring it home. In one account, Diane states, quote, She spoke to everyone in the restaurant and would often invite people she barely knew over to our apartment for drinks. I was concerned and told her that it wasn't safe to invite total strangers over to our place like that, but she would just laugh at me. She said it was fine and that I worried too much. Lucky thing, most of the people she befriended were fine. 
There were a couple of strange guys, but you know, that was Sandy. She didn't seem to be afraid of much, if anything. End quote. The girls were invited by their bosses at the restaurant to go to a Playboy club with him in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, where Krista met actor and singer James Darren. She was bitten by the bug and then said that she was going to be a star. She was hired as a Playboy bunny, but never actually got to work as one, stating that she didn't want to do it alone. Just after her daughter's second birthday, with her sights set on fame, Krista and her friend Diane left their daughters in the care of a nanny in Vermont and moved to New York. After moving to New York, Krista got a job as a waitress at the Gaslight Club, where she met Buffalo Bills player Ray Abruzzese. A hot and heavy fling ensued, but her time as Ray's live-in lover was short-lived. Krista booked a few modeling jobs and was working on, quote, getting discovered. Her big break came shortly after when she met costume designer Lenny Barron. He became good friends with Krista and helped introduce her to New York's elites. Krista knew that she would need to be seen as a movie star to become a movie star, so she adopted a lifestyle of parties, glitz, and glamour as quickly as she could. It was through her nightlife in New York that Krista met Broadway producer Stuart Duncan, heir to the Worcestershire sauce fortune, who was making his transition from the stage to the screen. Stuart and Krista had a longtime friendship, and he helped her buy property and a Corvette and helped her get her career off the ground. Stuart gave Krista her breakout role as the star of his 1974 film, Let's Go for Broke, where she plays an investigative journalist named Jackie Broke. It has a Charlie's Angels meets James Bond feel. One account by Steve Thompson and John O'Dowd says, quote, The film has an outlandish Bond-style plot that deals with a wheelchair-bound madman who uses a synthetic dog food on his enemies, which causes them to turn into, believe it or not, raw meat. Reporter Jackie Broke is interviewing a feminist who was then kidnapped and taken to Haiti. She herself is later kidnapped by the same villains and also taken to the island, where voodoo and various tortures come into play until she escapes and tackles the bad guys with her feminine wiles and elaborate skill in martial arts. End quote. Movie night at my house, anyone? Stewart was the creator of the well-known musical Godspell and gave Krista stock in the show that made her money for years. After filming Let's Go for Broke wrapped, she made the transition from New York to Hollywood to continue her quest for fame. With connections made and a bit of success under her belt, Krista was ready for the City of Angels. According to reports, Krista submitted photos and stories of herself to gossip columns to try to edge her way into Hollywood's elite. And it worked. Krista was able to link herself to Mick Jagger, Warren Beatty, and Jack Nicholson, just to name a few. She used her charm and good looks to make herself part of the entertainment industry's inner circle. Shortly after moving to Los Angeles, Krista met big-time financer Bernard Kornfeld, a.k.a. Bernie, and shortly after, she moved into his 39-room mansion, located at 1100 Carolinan Drive. The house housed numerous people, from up-and-comers to Bernie's lackeys. It was allegedly a non-stop party destination, and Krista fit right in. Krista was later described by her daughter as a, quote, free agent who openly enjoyed sex. On the topic of sex, Krista allegedly kept a diary of her many escapades and sexual encounters. She apparently kept very detailed notes down to what she was wearing and her rating of how much she enjoyed the interactions. She wrote down everything, and she took that diary with her everywhere. 
She didn't keep this secret of her diary hidden either. She allegedly told several people about it and everyone advised her to stop, or at least to stop talking about it. But Krista didn't listen. According to some reports, she was keeping these diaries to write a book about her adventures in Hollywood. But according to others, she was keeping them to blackmail the Hollywood bigwigs she was sleeping with. After a few years in Hollywood and a few small TV roles under her belt, most notably an episode of Wonder Woman, Krista started to realize that her years in Hollywood were not really amounting to what she'd hoped they would. So she started for a new way to break into the spotlight. And what did she come up with? Nothing other than a disco album. Yep, Krista went from trying to be the next hot movie star to being the next hot disco star. According to reports, Krista was signed to Casablanca Records, and they brought in DJ Frankie Crocker, an up-and-coming producer. But the pair didn't get along, and their relationship fizzled out quickly. Trying to save face, Krista allegedly told people that it was her idea, and that she didn't want to work with Crocker, and that she, quote, had him by the balls, end quote. From the start of this disco album, it was doomed for an ill fate. Krista started to party harder and got mixed up in a crowd that she would later tell friends she was afraid of. But on the surface, that seemed far from the truth. Shortly after starting the album, Krista started hooking up with one of her female backup singers, Patty Collins. Patty and Krista became inseparable, and Patty couldn't get enough of it. That was until Debbie Danilo joined the mix. Another backup singer, Debbie joined the record after Patty and said in one account, quote, Krista was flirty, and she came on to me immediately, but with a sense of timeliness. She let me know she was interested in me, sexually, but wanted me to be comfortable with her first. I more or less ignored her advances, at the time keeping my eye on Patty, who was keeping her eye on me. To be quite frank, I've never had an interest in having a relationship with another woman, especially sexual. I've been married five times, but always to men. But I appreciated Krista as what she was, and I appreciated her interest in me even though it was something we would never act upon, end quote. So let's pause for a moment. We know that Krista used her sexuality to forward her acting career, and she wasn't shy about who she was sleeping with, but that didn't get her as far as she hoped. With not much to show for her career, she starts a new one as a singer and gets mixed up with not one, but two of her female backup singers. Okay, great, now that we're all on the same page, what we have here is a fame and adoration-seeking woman willing to do whatever it takes to achieve said fame and adoration, which is a slippery slope. Black Dahlia, anyone? Krista continued to brag about her sex diary and how detailed she kept it. She told people that she wrote down names, things they liked, dates, and even ranked the sex with a scale she created. She openly bragged about her conquests and the details written in her diary that she allegedly always kept in her purse. Shortly after, Krista wound up dead. On the night of February 12, 1977, Krista Helm went to a Hollywood party with her roommate Stephanie. Krista left the party to go to the home of Sandy Smith, a quote, talent agent. When Krista arrived at Sandy's house, she was brutally stabbed a number of times in the street in front of the house and was left for dead with no eyewitnesses. Okay, so let's start at the beginning. What we know is that on the night of February 12th, Krista went to a party with her roommate. Her roommate's name was Stephanie. The party was in West Hollywood. She and her roommate took her roommate's car. We know that she made a call to her agent, Sandy Smith, at some point during the party. 
Allegedly, she was trying to get him to come to the party and that they may or may not have been lovers, but Sandy refused. We also know that Krista left the party to go to Sandy Smith's house, where she was later found stabbed to death outside of the car in front of Smith's house. She was stabbed all around her body. From her breast to her back, Krista was violently attacked and left for dead, bleeding out on the West Hollywood neighborhood street. Her hands were covered in stab wounds, indicating that she was trying to defend herself. She definitely didn't go down without a fight. Sandy Smith denied hearing or seeing Krista that night and claims to have been asleep the whole time. Krista was stabbed over 30 times and sustained blunt force trauma to her head. Authorities assumed that that was from the handle of a knife or a hammer. Her body was discovered by a young man crossing the street. According to some reports, he found her with her car keys in her hand, partially under the car. When investigators arrived on scene, they took note at the odd way her car had been parked. She allegedly stopped her car abruptly, with her tires jammed onto the curb on the passenger side. This led authorities to believe that someone had been trailing her in West Hollywood. According to reports, Krista then got out of the car, and neighbors reported hearing people talking loudly, and one neighbor said that he heard, quote, two women and a man. Another ear witness said that they heard, quote, vicious screams that sounded like a cat being skinned, end quote. The knife used in Krista's murder was never found, but according to reports, the LAPD speculate that the knife was a buck knife or a more heavy-duty knife than what most people have lying around in their kitchen. It was also speculated that because there was a large amount of force and passion that went into her stabbing, that it was a single person who knew Krista and that they were acting alone. This is a very personal and violent way to kill someone, so the police, and I, assume that it was someone who knew Krista intimately. No evidence of the murder was left on the scene, but DNA was taken from underneath Krista's fingernails. According to the LAPD, Krista had fought for her life. It's important to note where Krista's body was found, slightly under the car, and her purse was missing. And in the purse, the sex diary which to this day has not been accounted for. According to reports, her murder didn't receive much media attention, as you would think for someone so deeply entrenched in the Hollywood gossip scene. But one account thinks that that's the precise reason that it didn't get much attention. It was personal. Quote, who she knew and what she knew may be the reason that her savage killing was barely reported. End quote. Investigators had very little to go on at the scene but they matched the keys in Krista's hand to the car and then to her apartment that she shared with Stephanie. When police went to the apartment, Stephanie told them that it was her roommate, Krista, that had her car last night. And this is where the story gets a little weird. Krista's roommate, Stephanie, told investigators that Sandy Smith was Krista's agent and a mutual friend of them both. Stephanie stated that Krista had called Sandy from the party earlier that evening to try to get him to join them at the party. When asked about that night, Sandy Smith told investigators that he was sound asleep and that he never heard a thing. He claims that he has no idea what happened to Krista and why she would be stabbed mere feet from his house. But according to witnesses, that statement is false. Allegedly, there were people coming and going from Sandy's house all evening, and the person who found Krista's body was on his way to Sandy's house. So there we have our first lie. What was Sandy trying to hide by lying to the police? In recordings from her sessions at the studio while working on her disco album, investigators found that they were littered with personal drama and tensions. 
Allegedly, her backup singer, Patty Collins, was having a secret relationship with Krista, but Krista denied being a lesbian, and that upset Collins. Upon hearing the recordings, investigators went on the hunt for Patty Collins, but they were never able to find her. Where did she go? And why? Another weird thing? Krista was said to have been carrying a handbag with a Tommy Boy logo on it, and allegedly her sex diary inside. Neither the purse nor the diary has ever been accounted for. After a few months, the case went cold. The police had too many leads, too many loose ends, and too much on their hands. They passed things off and moved on to the next until there was nothing left. So who are the suspects? Number one is Sandy Smith. He was Krista's agent and the person whose house Krista was murdered in front of. He was, from what I could find, definitely in the Hollywood party scene, potentially had mob ties, and was definitely a shady character. I couldn't find too much on him in my research, but I did come across a notice that the LAPD is still actively looking for him. So, Sandy Smith, if you're listening to this podcast, the LAPD would like to talk to you. The next suspect is Rudy Mozella. Remember the drama that police found on the studio recordings from Krista's disco album? Well, he was a drug dealer who was roommates with Blair Aronson, the keyboardist who worked on Krista's disco album. According to reports, Krista was storing large amounts of cocaine for Mozella, and during that time, she stole some of his drugs, and he found out and got violent. Another crazy thing? Rudy allegedly bragged that he was the one who had committed the murder of Krista Helm. We all know false confessions happen regularly in murder cases, but this is one that I take kind of seriously. He wasn't looked at deeply at the time of Krista's murder, but when the case was reopened in the mid-2000s, cold-cased investigators found that Rudy had been dead for years. According to my research, Rudy is the general favorite for who killed Krista, but with investigators unable to interview him because he's dead, and there being no direct evidence linking him to her murder, the case is still unsolved. What I'd like to know is, did Sandy see something? Why did he lie to the police? Did Sandy and Rudy know each other? Rudy was a drug dealer and Sandy Smith was an agent in Hollywood in the 70s, so it wouldn't be a far stretch. What's also interesting about this case is that investigators found tapes among Krista's possessions, audio recordings of her sexual encounters. So that leads us to the next suspect, Tony Sirico. Yep, you heard that right. The actor who played Polly Walnuts on The Sopranos is a suspect in this case. According to reports, Krista's roommate Stephanie said that Tony showed up at their apartment shortly after the party to check on Krista's, quote, welfare, but allegedly what he ended up doing was going to their apartment to steal furs and personal documents of Krista's. According to reports, Stephanie believes that it was Tony who initially stole the tape recordings from Krista's room after her murder. So does that make him a suspect? My guess is that he was new to Hollywood and trying to find a way to break in. Someone offered him something that he wanted for going to her apartment and stealing Krista's things. Tony denies all involvement, and this is just a theory, but maybe something worth thinking about. When interviewed by the police, he was cooperative and friendly and stated that he was simply an acquaintance of Krista's. But when investigators got specific on dates and times, allegedly Tony's demeanor changed. His lawyer stopped the interview and said that Tony wouldn't answer any more questions. Suspicious, if you ask me. The next suspect is the unnamed movie star. Let me explain. 
The main theory is that someone, one of her high-powered sexual partners, found out about her tapes and detailed diary and was not willing to risk that information getting out. Remember, Krista was not shy about telling people about her detailed diary and ranking system, so that would be enough to spook anyone with something to hide. But would it be enough for a high-profile person to commit murder? So what happened to the tapes? In my research, I came across a report where a cold case investigator stated that on the tapes was a recording of a threesome, and it was described as a, quote, very intense sexual encounter. This threesome featured Patty Collins, Krista's backup singer and lesbian lover, Krista, and an unnamed, well-known movie star. The investigator does not disclose who the person is, but state that he is a man and he's still alive and very much in the public eye today. Interesting, right? When this quote, celebrity, as he's called in the reports, was interviewed, he states that Patty Collins was not happy with Krista at the time of their sexual encounter and that there was a lot of tension between the two of them. So could Patty Collins be a suspect? Let's say that she is. I find it very weird that Patty disappeared the night of Krista Helms' murder. To me, that says, I have something to hide. And investigators thought so too. They still do to this day, but they've not been able to find her. So she definitely knows something, but is willing to stay hidden to not let anyone find out what it is. As for Krista's other backup singer, Debbie Danilo, she knows more than she ever let on. According to the band's keyboardist, Blair Aronson, he and Debbie were in a relationship, but he and Krista had had sexual relations the night before her murder. According to that same report, Debbie had caught him cheating on her with Krista by watching them have sex through a window. Aronson says that's what happened, but Debbie allegedly denies it. So what about DNA evidence? When cold case investigators hopped on in 2006, they began testing the DNA that was found under Krista's fingernails the night she was murdered. Remember how she fought for her life? Well, what turned up was that the DNA evidence showed that it was a woman who had contact with Krista that night. And that also matched the ear witness report that stated they'd heard two women's voices and one man's. Investigators began searching for the women in Krista's life, and of the suspects listed, Debbie was the only female they could track down. And after being tested, they learned that that DNA did not belong to her. So was it Patty Collins? What breaks my heart about this case is that Krista's daughter, Nicole, has not gotten answers. She's the reason that the case was given to cold case investigators 30 years after her mom's murder, and she's still looking to find the truth. Ultimately, what this case comes down to is the idea that Krista got herself mixed up in something so big and she couldn't get out. Whether it was a high-profile movie star or a killing over drugs, Krista's murder case is one with so many loose ends that are just as interesting as the characters involved in the case. So what do you think? Was it one of Krista's backup singers? or the sketchy agent Sandy Smith, or the drug dealer who bragged that he killed Krista? Or was it someone else? Tweet me at HollywoodlandPC or email me at HollywoodlandPod at gmail.com. I've included references for my research for the show in the show notes, as well as links to the accounts I quoted earlier in this episode. Please feel free to check them out for more information on Krista Helm. What drives a father to commit sadistic acts in a Los Feliz mansion? And why is the house infamously known as the murder house in Los Angeles? Find out next time on Hollywoodland Unsolved. Until then, happy sleuthing. 
All Elements of Hollywood Land Unsolved are produced by me, with graphics and maps by Brian Balzarini and music by my amazing father.